Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the government reveals its plan to guide Canada through the pandemic. Overcome pandemic requires the work and resolve of every order of government, of every community, and of every one of us. We don't decide when hardship comes, but here in Canada, we have decided how we wanted to address it. The Prime Minister defends his government's proposed financial measures. I know some people are asking how we can afford to do all this for Canadians. That's fair. The low interest rates mean we can afford it. And in fact, doing less would end up costing far more. Doing less would mean a slower recovery and bigger deficits in the long run. And the Conservatives say they will not support the Liberals' throne speech. The only thing that we've seen from this speech from the throne is that this was the way for Trudeau to cover up his, his scandals. It was a way for him to shut down the committees. And now he's promising, again, grand gestures, interfering in provincial jurisdiction, not supporting the provinces when they've asked for some support and raising taxes on Canadians. It's Thursday, September 24th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. We're joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us. Good morning. Parliament resumes today and uh, we will have question period and other House business. This is the first time in a long time, obviously, and, and comes the day after the speech from the throne. What do you expect to hear from the opposition about yesterday's speech from the throne, and how will things play out from here? Well, I think that the speech from the throne, it's always presented as this kind of vision statement, but really it's always a political document. And what it has done is it's given the chance for the Liberals to regain control of the narrative. You know, they were at a really torrid time during the summer, uh, various parliamentary committees looking into the wee, the wee scandal, and they were really on the back foot. And I think that the speech from the throne is so busy and so full of uh, potential uh, new legislation, new spending measures, that inevitably it becomes a talking point, and inevitably the liberal, Liberals will be talking about things that they want to talk about. You know, those measures will be criticised by the opposition, but the, the Liberals have... I think been so generous to so many groups that it's very hard to see them on the losing side of, of any of these arguments. I mean, it's if you're Aaron O'Toole, and although he's obviously self-isolating with COVID at the moment, but whoever the Conservative is has to stand up and, and not just say this is too expensive. The Conservatives are going to have to present an alternative vision or, or at least say what they would do differently while they're criticising the, the Liberal measures in the speech from the throne. And, of course, while they're doing this, the wee scandal just simply dissipates. Now, there were many elements in the throne speech to talk about. Uh, what are what are some of the highlights for you? What stood out? There were obviously measures there to do with the coronavirus crisis, but other aspirational long-term goals as well around things like child care. What were, what were the top points for you? Well, there's a 6,000... Word document, and there's a lot of. Uh, and, and as I leafed through it, whenever it said we will continue to do this or we will accelerate this, then I sort of brushed past it because there was a lot of uh, measures that are already underway. Um, 
of the new stuff, I mean, the most expensive of those spending implications was the extension of the wage subsidy through to next summer. Now, the wage subsidy has cost $35 billion so far uh, in the six months that it's been in existence. You know, if you extend that another nine months uh, and and if, it's extend, if it covers all sectors, then you could add another $50 billion to the... Uh, to an already bulging uh, deficit of well, it's $400 billion or so at the moment. You know, this could, could send us closer to $500 billion, half a billion, half a trillion dollars by the end of uh, the measures that are, that are in this throne speech. So, you know, that has got to be a talking point. I mean, you know, clearly if we're going into a second wave, uh, you want to con- keep that connection between workers and employers. But I think the opposition parties, it's incumbent on them to ask the question, did you consider targeting the most badly hit sectors instead of all sectors? You know, for example, the restaurant business, the accommodation industry, uh, tourism, uh, you could potentially just have, have extended the, uh, the, the wage subsidy to those industries rather than a blanket, uh, extremely expensive measure like uh, uh the one that they proposed. Uh, the other one factor that, that sort of leapt out at me was the fact that many of these measures are in areas of provincial jurisdiction. You know, there doesn't seem to be much recognition that this is not a unitary state and that many of these uh, areas, like childcare, are exclusive areas of provincial jurisdiction. And so for the for the federal government to come out and say, we're going to imp- or bring in a national childcare strategy, We've seen this movie before, and it did not go very well for the federal government. If you remember back to 2005, Ken Dryden took, took a year to negotiate a national daycare policy with the provinces, by the end of which provinces like Quebec and Alberta only signed on if they were given the money, and then they were given exclusive control over how it was spent. So I think that that's going to be a very lengthy and tortuous process for the feds. The speech from the throne is going to face a confidence motion in the House of Commons. The Conservatives have said they're not going to support it. So it comes down to uh, effectively whether the NDP will. I think the bloc are not going to support it either. So uh, what what do you expect to happen and, and what will go into the calculations here for NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and his team? Well, I think in the last few days, Singh has been sounding more bellicose than he was previously, I think in recognition of the fact that that he's, uh, he's viewed as a bit of a lapdog for Justin Trudeau. I mean, he has, it, it doesn't seem like there's much that can separate the two in terms of policy. So of late, he's been talking about, well, we need to see paid holidays, we need to see the Cerebri have stated, and if not, we, we may not support this. I think when push comes to shove, they will support it. I don't think that if we went to an election at the moment, that the NDP would come out of it very well, given the me- the, the measures that, uh, you know, the speech from the throne effectively would be an election platform for the Liberal Party, and there's a lot in it that people are going to like, especially people on the left of the political spectrum. So while Singh said that the speech didn't go far enough, it would be a real shock to me if he decides to vote against such a profligate manifesto. And what do you think about how Parliament is going to sit in the days ahead? There was an agreement that was reached on exactly how many people would be in the House of Commons, how votes would be carried out, that sort of thing. So 
this is again part of the uh, the new normal or the the adaptation that that has been required during 2020. What are your expectations of that? Well, it does appear there's going to be a hybrid of uh, of people online and and uh, people in the chamber. Um, you know, we now have. Uh, the, re- the reply to the speech from the throne, we know where Justin Trudeau stands because he gave a very political speech on television last night, which um, was kind of shocking to me. I, I mean, you know, these the networks don't hand out the, the opportunity to have unfettered free airtime very often, and usually it has to be something pretty urgent. Well, you know, the urgency, that the urgent message that Justin Trudeau delivered was that you may not get Thanksgiving this year uh, but we hope we'll get Christmas. It was pretty weak key, to be honest, and I think um, did not meet the measure that the, the, the networks would hope. You know, urgent national business. Well, this was, you know, it's hardly news to anybody that we're entering a second wave and that they should socially distance and wash their hands. So I think, uh, you know, we know where the Liberals stand. We heard from the leaders of the other parties, but um, Erno Tool's message was was pre-recorded before I think that the throne, the throne speech was out. So uh, so we may see some change of messaging from the from the Conservatives. Obviously, all eyes will be on, on Jagmeet Singh to see if, this, if his uh, position changes any. Just to follow up on what you said about the Prime Minister's speech last night, uh, was there any new information in it? And uh, I take it you agree with a lot of the people who have been commenting that it was it was not uh, the kind of speech that deserved uh, national broadcast time uh, on the major networks and that it it was a, a more of a political speech than an update to Canadians on a crisis. Um, and I wonder if, if that's the sort of, uh, if that's going to be a model going forward, a speech from the throne delivered by the Governor General and then the Prime Minister doing a, a follow-up speech of his his own uh is no i don't think it will i don't think it will be a model because i don't think the networks will allow it again right i mean i think they were they were beguiled by by trudeau and and uh then he basically delivered this kind of specious reiteration of the throne speech that that uh, the governor general had delivered only hours earlier i mean whether this was because uh of the current uh furore around the Governor General and her behaviour towards her own staff and the fact that the Privy Council Office is, is investigating that behaviour, whether the Prime Minister felt he would rather deliver the speech in his own words because of that, um, I'm not sure. But I think, you know, it potentially can backfire because, you know, only half the population said that they could judge whether they felt positively or negatively about Aaron O'Toole in a recent poll. Um, you know, there's an awful lot more people who will know who Aaron O'Toole is as a result of the fact that he got 10 minutes of national airtime himself. So I think, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau seems to have forgotten that last year the electorate essentially told them that they had enough of the focus being on him and they wanted some more focus on content and substance. Um, we seem to be returning to this, this uh, uh, cult-like leader who who uh, is almost obsessed by his own image. And I think that, uh, I think it was a misstep. And I know that people in the Liberal Party think it was a misstep for them to have done this. All right, we'll see what the next few days bring. John, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post.
while we're dealing with this pandemic, I don't want you or your parent or your friend to take on debt that your government can better shoulder. So yes, in the short term, we'll keep investing. Now here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Conrad Yakabuski argues with the throne speech, Justin Trudeau has gone all in on bigger government. Yakabuski writes, If there was ever any prospect that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government might temper plans to spend its way out of this crisis, it appeared to vanish with Wednesday's speech from the throne. Not only did it all but ignore calls to rein in the massive growth in federal debt since the onset of the coronavirus pandemic, it confirmed the government's intention to spend untold billions more. At Policy Options, Carmina Ravenera and Sarah Kaplan argue Canada's economic stability hinges on an equitable recovery for women. They write, Women are bearing the brunt of the economic fallout from COVID-19. We stand to lose not only the progress for gender equality that has been made over the last few decades, but also our chance for a resilient pandemic recovery. Women, especially mothers and those facing discrimination, stand to lose in the pandemic's fallout. The future stability and resiliency of our country depends on whether we act to fix the cracks in our social and economic foundations today. At globalnews.ca, Bill Kelly asks, when will the COVID-19 lesson be learned? Kelly writes, sure, most of us are wearing masks, but we've dropped the ball on social distancing and self-isolation, and many of us seem to think large gatherings are now okay. If we continue to be lax about prevention, the second wave of COVID-19 will be as bad or worse than the first devastating wave. We want to see the economy rebound. But if we don't control the spread of the virus, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As we've been discussing, the speech from the throne will continue to dominate Canadian politics for the next couple of days. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on what to watch for. Mark, the basic things to consider as we watch the showdown over the next few days is this. The Conservatives have said they will not support the throne speech. The Bloc Québécois has come out clearly saying it can't support the throne speech because it invades too many provincial jurisdictions. So all eyes are on the NDP. Now here are the things to consider. We have six days of debate on the throne speech before a vote on it. But those six days don't have to be consecutive sitting days of the House. So they could stretch out considerably over weeks. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh has said that the bottom line for his party support is twofold. Introducing a national paid sick leave program and extending the CERB benefit, or if it must be replaced, replacing it with something which provide an equivalent income replacement to the hundreds of thousands of Canadians who depend on it. Now, the government did neither of those in the throne speech. However, the NDP leader has said that what he needs is some sort of assurance that the government will meet the NDP's demands eventually. The government has tabled notice of a bill to introduce three new programs, all called Canada Emergency Recovery Benefits, those would be offered to Canadians who don't qualify and can't transition to EI. Well, that legislation could easily be tweaked to make those programs uh, and their payments equivalent to the CERB. The question then comes down to this. Does the government want to accommodate the NDP? Or does Justin Trudeau really want an election? Conversely, does Jagmeet Singh want to make this his hill to die on? Does the NDP want an election? Or can it wait until the economic update and other days? We have six 
sitting dates of debate on the government's speech from the throne to find out the answer to those questions. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will take part in a briefing on COVID-19 with the Chief Public Health Officer of Canada, followed by a high-level roundtable on climate action during the United Nations General Assembly. He will also speak with the Prime Minister of Jamaica. Later this morning, the Prime Minister will deliver a statement in the House of Commons on the death of John Turner. And this afternoon, he will attend question period. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, September 24th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC. For coverage of all the day's events, our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.